You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Milwaukee Brewers prospect Josh Hader is the 57th ranked prospect in all of baseball, according to MLB Pipeline, and we... Welcome you into episode number 57 of the show before the show podcast. We will not be joined by Josh Hader, so I don't know why I led with that. Hi, Sam. Hi. I was wondering what you were going to lead with, and uh, I actually <laughs> I had that know. thought in my mind, I and so I guess that works. All right. So okay. welcome to the Josh Hader, non-Josh Hader uh, episode of the podcast. The Josh Hader, but not Josh Hader episode of the show. Uh, maybe at some point, Josh Hader's, you know, he's too busy throwing perfect games on MLB The Show and dominating Brett Phillips and all that kind of stuff. Busy guy. Um, but uh, either way, we welcome you into the same numbered episode of his ranking on MLB Pipeline's Top 100 rankings. I'm Tyler Ron. He's Sam Dykstra in New York City. We do have a very exciting episode on the docket for you today. We will be joined by Stan Kyles, the pitching coach of the AAA Indianapolis Indians, one of the most talented rotations and bullpens in all of minor league baseball through 23 games a season in ERA for that entire organization of uh, 2.81, which is pretty good for the Indianapolis Indians. So we'll talk a lot about Jamison Tyone. We'll talk a lot about Tyler Glass now. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, second month of the season, first full month of the season finally underway in the 57th episode of the show uh, before the show comes to you today. We'll also talk with Ben Hill a little bit later on in the show. Ben is getting set to head out for his first road trip of 2016, so we'll cover that as well. And uh, we'll get started here on the 57th week of this show with three strikes, and we'll dive right in with uh, first month in the books behind us already. Sam, April, breakout month for a lot of prospects. Who is your guy? If we were naming prospect of the month for this little podcast here, uh, which, by the way, you can go rate, review, and subscribe to on iTunes. Nice little plug there. Who's your guy? Prospect of the month for April for strike one. Yeah. So uh, when I kind of thought of, of this topic, I, I thought of, you know, combining really good first month with really good prospect status. Who's kind of delivered on what we thought would be a lot of promise. And the guy I'm going to pick is Andrew Benintendi um, for my prospect of the month. A guy who has just delivered on pretty much every, what everything we thought he could be um, in his first full season. The Red Sox sent him to Class A advanced. Salem and he's just tore the ball, cover off the ball there you know pretty much every aspect of the game I mean we've talked about in the past how he's got a little more power than you would expect out of a guy who's five foot ten 170 pounds he is slugging 640 so he ticks that box he's a guy with a little, little bit of a run tool MLB.com has him at a 60 grade on the 20 to 80 scale meaning he's got a plus run tool okay he's got six steals um, he's got a really good approach at the plate so he's got a 360 average and nine walks versus only six strikeouts. So a 360 average paired with a 426 on base percentage. Uh, that pop shows up in a, that combination of pop and speed shows up in the fact that he's got 10 doubles and six triples. Only the one homer so far. But I think part of that has to do with the fact that playing in Salem is a little bit more of a pitcher's park, at least when it comes to homers. So making that move to that specific space isn't going to mean he's going to hit plenty of homers, but the Red Sox have always said he is a gap-to-gap hitter. Uh, the homers might necessarily might come down the line, but he's not going to be a 30-homer guy necessarily. He's much more of a guy who's going to bring you maybe 40 doubles this season and about 20 homers, um, and he's delivering on that promise so far. Uh, so he's just been that guy who the Red Sox have been able to plug in in that very talented Salem 
lineup, and he's just been the catalyst right there in the middle of that lineup. Yohan Mankata also doing very well. That certainly helps. Mauricio Dubon at the top of the lineup. Rafael Devers, not, no, not so much. Um, but Ben Intendi's meeting all of our expectations. I wouldn't be surprised to see him in Portland you know, at the start of June, if not sooner. And there's a very real chance that he could become this year's uh, Michael Conforto and a guy that the Red Sox decide, you know what, this, he's meeting all the tests. He's beating all the tests. Um, let's see what happens if we can push him a little harder. Uh, I don't know exactly how Dave Dombrowski is going to kind of handle him, but if he continues to hit like he has in this first month, uh, the Red Sox could have something really special on their hands. What about you, Tyler? Who, you, who did you kind of think of when I first uh, put out this subject? This has come about really over the last uh, 10 days to two weeks or so, but I'm going to go with MLB.com's number 10 overall prospect, Brendan Rogers, who is with the Class A Asheville Tourists in the South Atlantic League. Rogers has just crushed the baseball over the last really about 10 days. I mean, he was already having a good month, a good start to the season. Uh, as of the end of April, he was batting as of April 20th, 275, 362, 529. Now coming into uh, May 3rd, he is batting 345, 427, 595. That's a slash line. Closed the month of April at 338, 425, 97, because he has just been roaring uh, at the plate uh, over his last nine games. Now he's had hits in eight of them. He's had more multiple hits in six of those contests. Uh, in addition to that, his average is 455 over that span. That is the sixth best mark in all of minor league baseball. His OPS of 1223 is 12th best. He's also uh, walked three times to match three strikeouts. And what I think is exciting about this for Brendan Rodgers is Last year, the Rockies take him third overall, and he didn't really blow people away at rookie-level Grand Junction. He finished strong, finished on a good note in the second half last season for the Grand Junction Rockies. Overall, ended up batting 273, 340, 420, which is a respectable line, uh, but the Rockies jump him over uh, short-season Class A Boise. They send him to Asheville, which is not the easiest uh, level to get acclimatized to at 18, 19 years old. He won't be 20 until August, but Rodgers has really shown he's the real deal and especially with the way that it wasn't just a hot start and then you know everybody adjusted to him and now he's still trying to get himself figured out this has been a sustained progression as he's gotten later and later into the month of April so uh, the Rockies should be very excited about what Brendan Rodgers is doing and what I think will be really interesting about this is if he continues to surge like this do the Rockies then, you know, similarly to what you're discussing with Ben Attendi, do the Rockies then choose to challenge him going forward? Does he make a jump uh, to a level that's maybe a little high? Obviously, it's different, a college guy versus a high school guy. Rodgers, again, is only 19. Does he get the test at the California League before the 2016 season is out, being young for the level and really testing himself against some very advanced approaches. Uh, so whatever Zach Wilson and Jeff Breidich and the Rockies administration decide to do with him, they got a good one on their hands. And last year, a variety of leg injuries. He missed a lot of time uh, nagging stuff that really bothered Rodgers. But I talked to him during spring training, and his thing was, over the offseason, I work to get stronger, I work to get healthy, I want to get started strong, and he's doing that in spades right now. Uh, so... That's my guy. First uh, first month of the season, and those are two, those are two fun guys to watch. <laughs> yeah, don't no, definitely. And they, uh, it's it's just been really cool to see. You know, we build up the season to be what it is. You you preview these guys, and when we're talking about top prospects, you talk about top expectations. Um, and not everybody's going to meet those expectations. So when guys do, I think I get more excited about that um, when we see somebody perform in the way we thought they did. They would. And uh, Rodgers and Benintendi are certainly two of those guys.
Denny Green would be proud. They are who we thought they were. Yeah, Back exactly. to Sam. We're going to go the inverse of that. Uh, players of the month we talked about uh, a moment ago for the month of April. We're a month into the season now. Who do you see trending the other way? Whose stock is dropping from prospects? Yeah, so for for me, um, you know, I kind of hate to do this, but, you know, it's just the way we, we kind of look at these guys. Sometimes their stock is rising. Sometimes their stock is falling. Um, for me, I, I think it's Sean Newcomb is a guy who could potentially drop when rankings come out again. Uh, you look at some of his numbers, and they, they are pretty good. He, he's got a 2.84 ERA so far at AA Mississippi, uh, 24 strikeouts in 25 and a third innings. Uh, he's holding batters to a 205 average against. So there, there are certainly some nice numbers there. Um, but for me, the question for him coming into the season was, what was he going to do about his walks total? Last year, he was averaging about half a walk um, per inning or a walk every two innings. He walked 76 guys in 136 innings while in the Angel system. This year, gets the he returns back to double-A uh, albeit in a different system. And now he's walking 17 guys in his first 25 and a third innings. Uh, hasn't pitched longer than a uh, five and a third innings in any start because of that. Um, in his last four outings, he's walked at least three and he's walked four in three of those outings. So it, when, when we're talking about Benintendi, he, he was a guy who's kind of beaten the tests that I wanted to see. Uh, with Newcomb, he is he hasn't passed that at all. I know he had some control problems um, in his first spring training with Atlanta. They sent him down qu- kind of early uh, to work on that in minor league camp as opposed to in Grapefruit League action. Um, and he's kind of carried that into the season. The thing about him is everything you read about him, you watch him. His delivery is especially clean. It's you know very easy. It looks repeatable. He's certainly a strong, sturdy guy. He draws. Uh, comparisons to John Lester in that way because he is a, a kind of bigger left-hander, but he, he just has difficulty throwing strikes right now, and he hasn't quite figured that out um, through the start of the season. You know, can he figure that out? Yeah, I mean, he's still only 22, but if we're talking about projecting down the line, if he's not doing it now at Double A, assuming that he's going to do it against better bats at Triple A or the majors, um, is tough to predict right now. So he's taking a little bit of a bump right now. In my book, uh, MLB.com, again, has him at number 18. I think he would slip out of the top 20 uh, for now if if he doesn't improve. But there's still plenty of season left to do that, obviously. We talked coming into this segment about, like, you know, we'd come across guys from night to night that we thought, like, would fit the bill for this, and I couldn't remember any of them. And you and I discussed somebody that I was going to talk about for this segment, but then I remembered somebody who I actually wanted to discuss. It's a long roundabout way of saying uh, DJ Peterson and the Seattle Mariner system has really fallen off the mark over the last couple of seasons. This is a guy who a couple of seasons ago was very, very highly touted in that system, comes into this year as the sixth-ranked prospect in the Mariners organization, but he's back to his third two or three the double a level and just has never really been able to capitalize on the promise that he showed uh in 2013 when he broke in after being drafted uh in the first round he was the 12th overall pick of that june's draft out of the university of new mexico 2013 really good with short season class a everett and full season class a clinton the next season blew up with high desert in the california league ops 997 over 65 games and got his first promotion to double a but ever since then 
hasn't been able to get it figured out at the double-A level. Held his own decently in 2014. Last season really struggled. 92 games, only OPS 638. The Mariners tried promoting him to triple-A Tacoma to see if that could jumpstart his bat a little bit. He suffered a season-ending Achilles injury. This year, he's back in double-A Jackson and just, again, is really struggling to get any sort of consistency. 226 average is 624 OPS. DJ Peterson has dealt with a lot of really tough luck stuff a couple of seasons ago took a, a ball to the face. I think it was a foul ball to the face uh, that ended up breaking his jaw and dealt with a bunch of issues coming off of that. So there was not a lot of luck that has gone along with the last few seasons with DJ Peterson, but that's a bummer because the, the Mariners were very, very high on him for a while. Corner infielder, a guy who has a, a really good compact swing can generate some decent power but has not been able to capitalize on it over the last couple of seasons and due in large parts of some health issues that he's dealt with but um, certainly somebody that if you're a Mariners fan you hope can get it figured out and turned around but as of right now that stock has been dropping for a, a little bit over a full season yeah with somebody like that too they have the added pressure of being a first round pick and that just sets expectations so much higher so when he did perform to that level you know at, at a high desert which you know, as we all know, is a very offensive environment. Uh, it's kind of perfect for DJ Peterson. That even, you know, kicks the expectations even higher. And he just has really had struggles meeting them ever since. So, um, you know, th this is maybe, you know, a crossroads year for him. He's he's not um, heading down the right road right now. He's I think he's going to be 24 for all this season. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens here in the second month. Maybe you can turn around or... Maybe they try to kick him up to Tacoma again and try that, and hopefully he stays healthy this time. Strike three, Sam. This is going to be a fun one because uh, you, you put it. This is the terminology uh, that was in the email today from Sam Dykstra. Quote, Maverick can wrangle possums. Who else would you trust to keep a ballpark safe? Some backstory. Um, you know, Sam, we've done this podcast now, Sam and I, for uh, almost a year. Uh, the two of us together. Prior to that, it was Jake Siner. Rest in peace, Jake. But um, a year before that... Uh, I wrote a story about one Brett Phillips, who has always been uh, a big fan of uh, of our work, and we've always been a massive fan of Brett's work. Um, you know, Sam goes out and writes really illuminating stuff on what it means to to be a prospect with, through advanced metrics or, you know, some CBA stuff. He's covering the draft. He's doing all kinds of cool things. My stories, the big stories that I've written have been about possums and ice cream sandwiches over my three seasons with MILB. But uh, the possum story was a fun one. Two years ago, a possum ambled out onto the field at full season class a quad cities brett phillips was there wielding uh his bat like a sword they ended up getting the <laughs> possum chased onto the infield somebody got it into a trash can they took it outside of the ballpark and let it go and run free um who's your guy if you're gonna pick a prospect to keep you safe from you know th there's all variety of animals that find their way into minor league ballparks there was an alligator in a dugout in charlotte uh in port charlotte a couple of years ago who's who's your guy who are you going with yeah did you mention the fact that the possum came back for uh brett phillips and biloxi i may have missed you saying so that, but... no but i did uh no i just totally forgot to throw that part in because i got so wrapped up in the initial one okay so go right. explain yeah that, that's the reason why <laughs> we're bringing up this right thing. right it's not just because i remembered that brett... it's just like a two-year-old story yeah brett fired phillips, up to, to lay the ground for gotten a gotten a possum um yeah so over the weekend uh <laughs> brett phillips did possums again um, there, there was another one that came out to the outfield and there's a great video on the site right now. There's a great GIF all over the internet of him chasing after the possum. The possum actually like looks back at him and kind of jumps after him and Brett jumps back. And I mean, as any of us would, so that's what kind of kicked this off. Um, there is a great story about it on the site with some great quotes from Brett Phillips about how 
if you're any if you're an opossum ever thinking about coming into a major league park or a minor league park you best know that he's going to be there to get you make uh, sure that you take note you will come across brett phillips yeah and this is where it, it's a great reminder that brett phillips middle name is maverick um which is just an awesome middle name in all accounts but uh especially when you're wrangling possums um so yeah so just to have a little fun with this i was trying to think of guys who i i know have the best hands in in the game and somebody you would definitely want grabbing it and wouldn't let go um so who i kind of picked was orlando garcia i have no idea if orlando garcia likes possums if he would ever get near anyone um you know he might be afraid of them like most of the population but orlando garcia everybody you talk to says he's got great hands he's a great defensive shortstop He's quick. He can handle anything that comes his way. Um, so he's somebody I think would be shifty enough to handle any movement that an opossum could give you on the field. Uh, the other idea I had was staying at the same position was Jorge Mateo, a guy with 80 speed. You know, he could probably track down any opossum. I like to think any human could probably outrun an opossum, but um, having somebody that fast would also help. So the, those are my two options. Um, I have zero inside information on if they have ever wrangled uh ballpark creatures but yeah that's that th those would be the first two on my draft i'm <laughs> just watching the video again of brett phillips this poor possum and the possum like well <laughs> the, <laughs> the thing that happens is like brett's doing the right thing chasing the pot like he's behind the possum not super close getting the possum toward the outfield gate whatever but then brett looks away to you know motion to whoever of like all right let's open this gate up we'll get the pot and that's when the possum slows down and turns around and freaks out. And possums are the ugliest creatures on earth. That's Their a horrifying thing. Weird. Yeah, and they got like the weird beady little eyes and everything. Like they're terrifying. And uh, so, but the money quote from this story is Brett Phillips saying, I may struggle with baseball from time to time, but I never struggle wrangling an opossum, uh, which <laughs> the first time I wrote the the initial story about Brett Phillips and a opossum, we had to have a long discussion of whether it's possum or opossum, which is annoying in itself. Um, I have to go with, you know, since we can't pick Brett Phillips for the story, I'm going to go with somebody who would just scare the possum into not attacking me and i'm gonna go with joey gallo who is the most hulking human being i've ever stood by in my entire life i interviewed joey last year not this past march but march of 2015 at spring training and it made me feel like that old brian regan bit where he talks about when you join a gym and they send you walking around the gym on the tour with the most muscle-bound gigantic guy you can find and it's like you're hanging off of him like a small little circus monkey going where are we going thunder that was me <laughs> and joey gallo the biggest human being i've ever seen so i think i just like hide behind joey gallo and and the, the sheer stature would, would terrify any possum away. Aaron Judge would be really good for Yeah, that. Aaron Judge would be a good one, too. Having seen Aaron Judge in the flesh and stood next to him and got up to, you know, the, his hulking chest, um, I think that would that would scare me. And I'm, you know, six foot tall. I can only imagine what would happen to, like, a two and a half foot long possum. Aaron Judge is listed at 6'7", 275. Yeah. Listed at six seven two seven five. That, that's pretty much all muscle too. That is not right. That is not uh any fat. For comparison's sake, uh, because the, the MLB pipeline um write up on Aaron Judge makes this comparison, Blake Griffin of Los Angeles Clippers is six ten, two fifty one is what he's listed as. So uh there's some big dudes playing baseball. All right, so Aaron Judge or Joey Gallo will go on just the the sheer size and and uh terror metrics. <laughs> to, to scare to scare away any ballpark invaders so Good. um at least we know that after brett phillips is done with his career which we hope is a a long and, and productive career in the big leagues he can just start a uh you know uh, a pest management company 
and um, he's pretty well got it taken care of at this point. He has actual video evidence that he can handle, you know, multiple occasions he can handle yeah. possums. Between that and providing laugh tracks to various sitcoms, I think uh, Brett Phillips has <laughs> a man of many careers. talents. Yeah. So that wraps up this week's edition of Strike Three, uh, or of Three Strikes, rather, with Strike Three. Uh, you're on the 57th episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Uh, coming up next, we're going to head to AAA Indianapolis. Stan Kyle's the pitching coach of a very, very laden, uh, talent laden, prospect laden, uh, pitching laden roster for the Indianapolis Indians. We'll talk uh, some arms and some profiles of guys who are headed to Pittsburgh probably in pretty short order. Stan Kyle's the Indianapolis Indians coming up next. Watch the stars of tomorrow today on MILB-TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.TV for details. One of the most exciting and talented pitching cores in all of the minor leagues is that of the AAA Indianapolis Indians of the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. We are joined by Stan Kyles, the pitching coach of the Tribe for the 2016 campaign. And Stan, welcome into the show. How's the, the first month of the International League season treated you so far? Uh, well, not too bad. You know, like you said, I mean, we got some uh, some young kids here that are uh, developing well and looking forward to each outing. So it's nice to watch them go out there and, and get better. And this is kind of one of those stages this season where it seems like after a long period of waiting for one reason or another, Pirates fans are going to get a lot of talent uh, on the way at some point, either this summer or later on toward the fall or whatever it is, because there are some very exciting components right now at that level that are a step below Pittsburgh. Uh, but obviously where everybody's going to focus is going to be on Tyler Glass now and Jamison Tyone. And let's talk first about Jamison Tyone, because it's been a long road back from injury for him. But the start of this season has got to be as good as anybody could have expected so far. He's 2-0 and in ERA of 1.54 and 4 starts. He struck out 23 and 23 and a third, and he's only walked two. I mean, if you guys could have diagrammed coming into this season through four starts through the first month of the year what best case scenario was going to be for Jamison Tyon this has got to be pretty close to it I would imagine well absolutely I mean it, it's as best as we could ever hope for uh he's still in good he's he's throwing the ball well uh he's in a, in a good frame of mind and and as I said earlier looking forward to each start and getting better so uh we, we're very pleased and happy for his success and the organization and with Tyone particularly, um, you know, what what have you guys kind of seen out of him? How has he kind of grown through this first month? I mean, the the first hurdle was just showing that he's healthy after overgo- overcoming, you know, that Tommy John surgery, the hernia problems last year. Um, but h- how has he grown in each start so far this year? Well, I mean, his pitch execution has gotten better each start. And, and obviously, I mean, he's, he's feeling stronger and uh, rejuvenated after each start. Um, you know, he's, he's a very cerebral guy. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's got the talent and the, the, the mental makeup we think to, to be a, a top line pitcher for a, a lot of years to come for us. And, and, uh, we're, we're just happy that he's, he's able to go out and, and, and shake off the last couple of years of, of inactivity and inactivity due to the injuries and, uh, 
like I said, I mean, it, it's great to see him out there enjoying pitching again and competing and getting better. Sam, when you look at somebody like Jameson who goes through, I mean, Tommy John obviously is a kind of a derailing thing um, for anybody for that one year. But then for somebody like Jameson to have to go through last season, the hernia issue, does it almost benefit him uh, in a way, maybe just retrospectively looking back at it now, in that he was able to get the arm basically fully healthy with uh, an additional extended period of rest and rehabilitation beyond just the surgery. And mentally, he gets to go out and get prepared i mean we heard him coming into this season saying things like i never want to be sent to triple a again i want this to be the last time i'm cut from a big league camp like his his rhetoric for lack of a better term was so fiery coming into this season about how he is so ready to make that final step do you think that that extra year out maybe had some benefits for him and that it just made him realize how hungry he really was to get there well i i, I don't know i mean it's 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 tough to say. I mean, you can look at it on on both sides of it. I mean, obviously, there's no there's there's no substitution for uh, experience and 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 getting some things done and playing and all that. I mean, the game is the best teacher of, of all things, and uh, we would much rather have him out on the field, uh, you know, learning and and honing his craft and, and skills and and doing that thing and, and staying away from being injured, from being injured. But having said that, I mean, like I said, I mean, he's a very cerebral kid, uh, you know, very into himself and, and, and knows what he wants to do. I mean, I think he spent a a lifetime preparing himself for the big leagues, not like any other pitcher that I've ever worked with. And uh, I, I think that's going to pay dividends for him. So, yes, the uh, the time that he had off, I'm, you know, I don't think he wasted any of it. You know, he's, you know, the game is always running in his head. And, um, you know, I'm pretty sure he took that time to get himself mentally prepared to, to work and get healthy again, but also to, to put himself in a position where, you know, when he hits the ground running, he, he'll be ready to run, you know, mentally as well. And uh, I kind of want to pivot to Glass now. Now, um, Glass now. Now, uh, Tyler talked about him a little bit before, but uh, just kind of kind of quickly touch on him. Everybody likes to talk about he keeps the ERAs nice and low everywhere he's gone. Um, keeps the strikeout numbers nice and high. He's got 37 strikeouts right now in 26 innings, striking guys out left and right for you guys so far in his first five starts. But the thing everybody talks about with him that he needs to take the next step is his control and his perhaps his changeup. His fastball and curveball, you know, you hear excellent reports on those, but it's the changeup that kind of needs to catch up. Um, how are you guys kind of working with him on that particular pitch and control of all three of his pitches um, kind of individually? Well, I think over the last couple of outings, uh, he's, he's done just that. I mean, he's incorporating his changeup into his repertoire very well, uh, you know he's got great raw abilities, and uh, but he's learning fast the art and beauty of the game. You know it's something that he looks forward to doing this year. He understands and realizes that you know there's there's another level that he has to get to on on the mental side of the game because he's he's already dotted his eyes and crossed his t's on a lot of the physical stuff. You know, he, he loves working out, and he's in in, in great shape, uh, and, and and just an outstanding specimen, obviously. But uh, you know, he's really coming fast as far as the art of the game, and and you know, the changeup is just an, another weapon, and he's understanding how to use it. His fastball and curveball are, are above average major league pitches, as as you said, and 
you know, he, he's honing the skills and, and, and getting better. And, and it's, it's nice to watch him develop this side of his game. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to him going out there every, every fifth day. Yeah. And when you talk about you personally looking forward to him, um, you know, a lot of teams have these pitchers. I remember back in the day, Pedro Martinez used to pitch for the Red Sox. They called it Pedro day. Um, people used to count down until that. I know you guys are stock full of really good pitchers, but how much is there kind of like a glass now or Tyone day where it seems like there's just an extra buzz in the ballpark when those two guys take the mound? Well, well, there is. I mean, uh, there's obvious buzz in the clubhouse. You know, we got Tyon going tonight, and we're looking forward to that. After, uh, you know, a loss last night, you know, we know that he's going to go out and give us a great chance to win. But, uh, again, it's, you know, we've, we've got four or five guys here in our starting rotation who are, we think, uh, are legitimate cha- have legitimate chances to be, become front line major league starters, and and not just Tyon and Glass and all, but also Chad Cool and Stephen Brought. Uh, Trevor Williams is is a guy that's getting back in shape now too, and and we have a sleeper and Wilfredo Bolthcan, who's who's probably our most dependable guy as far as going out and giving us a chance. So. You know, I, I, it, it's it's a staff that I never had the opportunity to work for, uh, work with, I should say. You know, one through five and and six, and uh, it, it it just gives you an extra buoyant, buoyant, you know, coming coming to the ballpark and and knowing that you got a chance to go out and, and see something special. Talking with Stan Kyles, the pitching coach of the AAA Indianapolis Indians and the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. And uh, Stan, you mentioned there are a couple of guys who are maybe a little bit under the radar. Wilfredo Boscan is kind of a, a minor league veteran guy who's been fantastic for you guys so far this season, an ERA of 2.05 through four starts. But you also mentioned Stephen Brault, and he kind of flies somewhat under the radar, I guess, comparatively uh, to you know the guys like Tyone and Glass now coming into this season. But he's MLB Pipeline's number 17 ranked Pirates prospect. His numbers this season have been outstanding. He struck out 30 in 23 and two-thirds innings, and he's limited opponents to a 253 average against. If you could give kind of a scouting report for people who maybe are not as familiar with this left-hander, what makes him successful? Well, I mean, he, he's he's got three pitches that we think are, are, are major league average and better uh, with his fastball, uh, breaking ball, and changeup. But I think what sets him apart is his, you know, he's got great feel for a left-handed pitcher, a young guy, very competitive, uh, loves contact, likes pitching the contact, and, uh, you know, he's not going to back down from the, from any team or lineup, and, you know, he's he's with these guys, and, and he's not backing down any. I mean, he, he, he thinks he's just as good as, as the uh, top-line guys here. And he's going out, and he's looking forward to proving it every night, and, and he's done well with that thus far. He had a little bump in the road last night. I thought he was trying to do too much, but uh, he bounced back. He comes to the ballpark today and said, let's look at some video, let me correct some things, and uh, I can't wait to get back out and, and get my bullpen done and get back out there. So, you know, great uh, mentality, great attitude, and uh, we think he's got a chance to be special as well. And uh, one more, Stan. We'll leave leave you on this one. We know you got to get back out there for tonight's game. But uh, you know, how does this group kind of work as a group? I mean, we're talking about you know five guys in a rotation, um, all pulling putting together quality numbers. The stats say that you know they're kind of feeding off each other a little bit, um, although they're putting together really good individual numbers. Um, but how does how does this group, as it's set up, kind of feed off each other, work with each other? 
does that dynamic exist in that kind of clubhouse or is it just five really good talents who all happen to be just stringing together good starts? Well, I think it's a, a, a lot of all of the above. I mean, you know, these, these guys really love being around each other. Um, you know, in a little while, I'm going to take them in the cages, you know, to do some hitting, and, and they're looking forward to that. They they really like to get on each other but compete against each other. And and I don't think they, you know, they're, they're not looking at each other trying, trying to one-up this guy. And I think they really enjoy watching the other guy go out and perform well and and it gives all of them confidence knowing that they can do it as well. You know, watching their friends and and uh, and, and brothers going out there and doing well, and, and it, it it gets them going. You know, as I said, it gives them a lot of confidence in their uh, outing as well. So uh, I think there's that little undercurrent of you know, and I want to one up this guy as as you all have. Anytime you have you know some alphas out there, and, you know everybody's trying to one up each other. There has to be that that little undercurrent going but it, it's it's just so positive and you know that they are feeding off each other a little bit and you know they're all going to have their little bumps in a road uh you know this 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 game is hard and as the newness wears off in this league they're going to have to get down to the nitty-gritty of um you know pitch execution and, and, and all of those things that go into winning baseball at the next level but, uh, you know, they're looking forward to that as well. And, you know, they got the other alpha dog in there with Chad Cool, who's just cool and, and calm and, and and he's just like his name is. And, and he's leading the bunch and keeping everybody nice and level. So it's a great thing to watch. And as I said, I'm looking forward to working, coming to the ballpark each day, knowing that I'm going to have a guy out there who I'm going to enjoy immensely watching. Last season, understand Kyle's the Indianapolis Indians led the International League with a 3.09 staff ERA. They are well on the way to bettering that this season at 2.81 through 23 games. Stan, congrats on a good start and a really exciting staff. And uh, thanks a ton for spending a little time with us. Best of luck tonight and the rest of the way. All right. Much appreciated. One of the uh, one of the staples of a Benjamin Hill road trip across the country is stoppage at uh, old time record stores, finding out the the identity, the musical identity of a community. Last week, Ben uh, dropped some sweet country music knowledge, and as we welcome in Benjamin Hill for this week's edition of our uh, our conversation with Ben, our first promo is a very Ben promo. First off, Ben, how are you? Hey. I'm a very Ben guy. I am Ben, yeah. and I'm happy to be here. Hi, guys. <laughs> this is like the perfect uh, promo. It was in this week's edition of Promo Watch. The Fresno Grizzlies, who have become you know one of those teams, one of the real cornerstone teams of minor league baseball over the last you know decade plus, really. But some of the really cool stuff they've done promotionally and with theme nights and with the uniforms and all that. Um, Thursday was Classic Vinyl Night in Fresno, and Ben, tell us about Classic Vinyl Night. I feel like this is something you would really, really have enjoyed to to attend. Yeah, absolutely, and obviously, uh, as soon as I saw the Grizzlies were doing this, I was like, I'm gonna write about it because um, I think it's a good idea, and you know, I want to use my platform to advocate other teams to do this. Um, but in a nutshell, what they did, it's it's classic vinyl night. Um, as uh, we all know, vinyls had a resurgence over the last decade or so. Plus, record stores are. Uh, you know, not as strong as they once were, but doing better than I think we all thought they would be doing uh, 10 and seven and eight years ago. So it's great to, uh, support physical media, record store culture. And the Grizzlies did that 
uh, by having 10 uh, area record stores uh, from all throughout Central Valley, California, set up on the concourse as well as some private collectors. And they had a record trade show on the concourse. And uh, so fans, I mean, for a certain type of baseball fan or a certain type of person, me included, to have a record fair on a concourse on a baseball stadium concourse is really like a combination of like literally the two best things there are, you know, records and music and, uh, and baseball. So I think to combine those is a natural thing. I hope a lot of teams pick up on this and they also, uh, they tied it in also to a Beatles tribute band playing after the game and, uh, a band called Beatleville. And they set up, uh, right on the field after the game. And that seemed like it went well too. And I think they're going to do this, this promotion in the future. And I hope other teams pick up on it. So, that's uh, that's what I got excited about. And there's one quote I wanted to kind of touch in on your story. They, they talked about next year they hope to be doing a similar promo for 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper's. And the quote given is, I think we can really blow that one up. Now, when I think of blow up and records, I think of Disco Demolition Night. Was that a direct reference, or am I just looking too hard into this? Uh, yeah, you're, you're, I think you're looking too hard into that. I mean, I'm all for looking too hard at words and finding <laughs> connections that aren't there, so I sympathize. But no, uh, I do think the Grizzlies, uh, June 1st, 50th anniversary of Sgt. Pepper, is June 1st, 2017. And I would not be surprised if the Grizzlies and perhaps other teams maybe go the theme jersey route that night if uh, if they're able to swing it. The tough thing is, as far as the Sgt. Pepper's theme jersey would go, the whole thing about Sgt. Pepper's and the album cover and all that is everybody looked wackily different. I feel like if you were going to go Beatles tribute, you would go the early stuff with the suits and that that would be so easy to replicate in a, a theme jersey thing it'll be interesting to see the way because that does have the feel of one of those things that a lot of teams will jump on board with yeah you know what would be the the easiest beatles theme jersey what? The white album <laughs> that's true that is true that's a really easy one or you could just have your normal jerseys and let it be <laughs> i'm just saying Sam Dykes are dropping the very good Benjamin Hill style jokes. I like it. I like that one. Um, ben, let's move along to uh, you are finally hitting the road. It is the end of April. We're now fully into May for the first week. And you got your first road trip on the docket. The Carolinas are up first in 2016. Yeah, I'm finally hitting the road a little later this season. But, you know, I wanted to get in a season rhythm this year, uh, not hit the road right away. But, you know, just write about some promos, um, follow along with the overall scene, and then really dive in once I uh, felt fully acclimated to the season um as an older man i get more and more sensitive every year to how i do things so first trip of the season it is starting on friday i'm gonna hit greensboro grasshoppers on friday night may 6th and that cuts off a or it doesn't cut off it starts off a uh north and south carolina based trip i'm not really moving in a circle but i'm Flying into Durham, then going to Greensboro, then going back to Durham, and then going into South Carolina, of course, the new ballpark, uh, Columbia Fireflies, and ending the trip more or less kind of sort of back where I started in Zebulon uh, on May 13th. So it's going to be a lot of bouncing back and forth through the Carolinas, uh, seven ballparks during the week, and uh, a very rich, fertile area for minor league baseball, the Carolinas, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And one thing I'm looking forward to hearing you report back on is you're going to be there for Star Wars night um, at Durham Bulls Athletic Park, you know, when you're there for for Durham. And it's a tribute to Han Solo. Um, I kind of love that they're just throwing the spoiler out there. If you haven't seen the newest movie, you know, too bad you're, you, you're getting it blown up now. But what, what are you expecting to see that night? Well, I'm expecting a lot of good visuals. Um, I've only been to one Star Wars night 
in my whole minor league traveling career, and it was Lexington Legends, and they were just kind of doing it for the first time, and it was a week night, and it wasn't a totally blown out Star Wars night. This one, I think, is going to be all the bells and whistles with the theme uniforms and tribute to Han Solo. I'm sure many members of uh, the local 501st uh, was it Garrison, uh, Wh- whoever those uh, local locally based groups are, where they send the characters out to the ballpark. So I'm just expecting, um, and it's the Durham Bulls. They do things well. They market well. A good video board and signage and marketing. I'm sure there'd just be a Star Wars element to everything. So I'm just kind of looking forward to taking it all in uh, and hopefully coming back with a lot of good visuals. Um, I have to admit, I'm not personally the biggest Star Wars fan, but I am excited to be at this one because I think this will be one of the best Star Wars nights. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, immersing myself in it to the extent possible. He is Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. You can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com as well. And uh, road trip season is here, which is always a big thing. Ben, what's been the, the response you've gotten to the uh, the ballpark story? As we talked about last week, Ben was putting together a piece that is now up at MILB.com about the ballpark, I mean, the run of ballpark construction that we have seen over the last three decades, basically. Um, ben had tracked that it was all the way back to 1980. 1980 was the last time that there had not been a new ballpark that opened in the minor leagues, 2017 looks as if it'll be that way as well what's the response been like to that well i think a lot of people found it interesting seeing this long run of um consecutive years in which a new minor league ballpark opened um but i have to admit somewhat um shamefacedly that i had to tweak the article a little bit um because once i started listing defunct ballparks that opened in the 80s um, there were some I missed, and so you know when readers see something that they know and you, the author, didn't, they uh, <laughs> they, they really let you know. And I take responsibility for that, and I kind of tweet the article to make it a little more simpler and kind of take out some of the defunct parks, so we could just see the streak of in you know active, still going parks um, that that have uh, opened year by year by year by year. But um, you know, as you guys know, writing in minor league baseball, there's often no central source for certain types of information. Yeah, and that is I true. Uh, really dove down a rabbit hole. I did not mean to go so deep into in uh, trying to track every ballpark opening go- all the way through the '80s because you think you have them all, and then it's just like, oh, well, what about the main guides who played in the International League? Holy cow! To Scranton Wilkes-Barre, or what about the Rockford whoever who played in Marinelli Park in the Midwest League? And I had done my best research i could i've been in touch with uh, the minor league headquarters in st pete and gotten some info from them you know twitter which is not something as a journalist you should rely on for information but always like <laughs> trying to get information from people on twitter and social media to chime in I-, I thought i had it pretty well down and um there were a few i missed and um the uh self-righteousness of uh, many in my readership uh, came out to the fore and let me know how wrong i was what I love just, my readers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's good that they have that intensity, though, that they read your stuff and like get that passionate about it. Oh, I love. Yeah, I-, I love it. But you know, sometimes I do something I'm very proud of and get no feedback, and then I make a mistake in a list, and it's just like I hope this wasn't an intentional omission. You know, some sort of comment <laughs> on my region in which I live. And I'm like, come on, man. I do my best. I really do my best to cover 160 teams. Like, yeah, it's not easy. And earnestly and with passion and skill and respect. And, like, I leave out your team on a list of stadium openings and it's a comment. It's it's some sort of, like, hidden slight. Uh, it's okay, though. I um, that, that happened to me last year at spring training. I accidentally mixed up east and west which w- with which ballparks were on which side of Phoenix. And somebody was so irate with me. And I thought... Sorry, it's the the first time that I've had to lay anything out geographically in the Phoenix area. So, no, we're not sliding any views. Sometimes we just have a lot of stuff to cover, and it's tough. By the way, I just wanted to point out the main guides played at a ballpark called The Ballpark. 
That was the actual name of the ballpark in which the Maine Guides played, which is a team that I have never heard of, but they played in Old Orchard Beach, Maine, which apparently the ballpark is still around, and it still hosts what I would assume is baseball, because what else could you do at a place called the ballpark? Very inventive. inventive That's a great stuff. name. I love it. I could give some some guesses as to what else they could do there, and I don't know, maybe it'll be <laughs> in the ballpark. Ah, uh, uh, that wasn't Twitter. even good. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm walking out of the door right now. And you can find him in the Carolinas coming up this week. Do you need any designated eaters? Have you found everybody? I think I might need one in Myrtle Beach, May 10th. What the uh, heck, man? Maybe I should just try to find a, a plane ticket. We had, we had discussed this. Designated, I could be the designated radio guy. Myrtle Beach's radio broadcaster becomes your eater. We all slot around, move in, be one hell of a promotional night. Okay, we'll discuss. I'm not actually going to do that. But <laughs> just thought we throw it out there. Awkward ending. Ben's Viz. <laughs> and at the blog, bensviz.mlblog.com. Ben, enjoy the Carolinas. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, I'll talk to you from the road next week. From the road. from the road. Right. Enjoy it. Be safe. I feel like I've been uh, a train wreck for the majority of the show today, but my favorite part of episodes of the show before the show is when I make a joke that falls flat on its face at the end of our segment with Ben, and then I have to awkwardly tap dance my way out of it. Yeah, with it, we were saying right after that ended, like, we have to come up with a new rating system for just the awkwardness of the Ben ending, because it's always like we don't know how to say goodbye to him because he's yeah. going to be in the room, right? but he's also going to leave and we're still going to be here. So what, how do we tread those waters? And sometimes it's just like, thanks for being on Ben. Yep. Talk to you guys next week. And then he leaves. And that works fine. Yeah. But then like, there's days like today where like, we won't see you for a while. So what do we say? But we will talk. That's kind of a thing. And then, you know, yeah. So if anybody has like a rating, if anybody wants to individually rate the endings of of our segments with Ben and, uh, you know, because our segments, our interview segments always end, very well like our the guys are always very appreciative and they give us the thanks for having me on or whatever but you know generally i'm going to make a terrible joke and since i'm not in the same room as you guys i can't tell if there's like a at least like a snicker so then i just <laughs> awkwardly have to say okay ben's on twitter you could follow ben there and then you know get out of it that way so yeah give us a give us a little rating system for how we can how we can wrap up our ben's biz banter segments all so. units of measure are acceptable <laughs> Uh, what do we got coming up on Milb TV this week? What are you excited for? Uh, by the way, big thanks to Ben. Big thanks to Stan Kyles as well from the Indianapolis Indians. Uh, I have a feeling that could factor into our Milb TV suggestions. Yeah, it's almost like we talked about this a little bit before. This, <laughs> this programming. Yeah, well, we've got the uh, Indianapolis Indians on the brain. If if you heard what Stan Kyles had to say, what we've had to say, and uh, want to check them out for yourself, uh, they are playing the Louisville Bats this weekend. Um, Chad Cool is slated to pitch on Friday. Uh, Tyler Glass now on Saturday. It's TBD right now on Sunday, but I think that's going to be Brault, um, who you asked uh, Kyle's about before, Tyler. Um, so you'll get to see that rotation in action. It's going to be a fun one playing against uh, Louisville because Louisville has a couple of good prospects themselves and uh, Jesse Winker and Jose Peraza. Um, so you won't be you know missing out on that side of the game too. And, you know, potentially they have a really good rotation themselves. Um, their rotation hasn't quite been set up yet, but they've got Cody Reed, Robert Stevenson is still with the team. So any chance you could get to see some of those guys and plus a really talented staff in Indianapolis, not to mention 
Uh, Josh Bell is there. They have some pretty good offensive players as well. Uh, so it, if you get a chance, at, you know, listen to this podcast, like what you hear, uh, check them out for yourself this weekend on MILB TV. Um, I think starting Friday, Louisville will be heading to Indianapolis. I'm going to pick a game on Friday, and I'm also going to pick a game on Saturday that has something to do with what we were discussing earlier, but sticking on Friday, where Sam's discussion was as well. Uh, 9.05 Eastern time, the Tacoma Rainiers visit the Albuquerque Isotopes. Uh, former highly rated Mariners prospect James Paxson off to a good start, a 3-2 and record, of 3.42 ERA. He's on the road taking on Jeff Hoffman, the number four Rockies prospect, who has been flat out filthy so far this season. Hoffman's got an ERA of 1.52 through his first five outings this year, a whip of zero point, or of 1.04. He has been very, very good for Albuquerque, so a good matchup there. And then coming up uh, on Friday night as well in Tennessee, um, Sam, a little bit earlier, talked about Sean Newcomb, the number two ranked Atlanta Braves prospect. Newcomb will take the hill for the Mississippi Braves on the road at Tennessee, taking on Paul Blackburn and the Tennessee Smokies. Paul Blackburn, maybe you haven't heard of as of yet, might want to take notice of him because through five starts this season, Paul Blackburn is 3-0 and with a 0.29 ERA. He's allowed one earned run through his first 31 innings. Uh, so keep an eye on that matchup because that could be a lot of fun. So both those games Friday night as well. I think I said one of them was Saturday, which was a lie, and I apologize for it. <laughs> Very sorry. Well, you have corrected yourself now. So people Now will, we're all good. Yeah, adjust their schedules uh, accordingly. That one only gets two bends on the rating system. There we go. There we go. Um, so there you go. You have my apologies. But a lot of good matchups Friday night and over the weekend on MILB.TV. And uh, that's going to do it for episode number 57 already of the show before the show podcast. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us uh, on iTunes. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you head on over to iTunes podcast, give us a rating and a review and a subscription there. We're getting all kinds of good ones as of late. Uh, a full five stars across the board, I think, so far, which is always exciting. So um, go ahead over there and let us know what you think. You can also email us your questions, thoughts, comments, whatever you have, podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter. He is at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I'm on Twitter at Tyler Mon. And uh, Sam, good work. Nice work. Yeah, this was a good one this week. And, uh, Enjoyed it. We'll have another good one next week with uh, Ben calling in this time. So we'll see how many Bens that gets. Ben on the road. We'll see what the Ben rating is uh, for the first Ben on the road of the 2016 season. Until then, enjoy another full week of minor league action. We'll talk to you then. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.